in uh, 100 years ago today. Al, do you remember what you were doing? <laughs> One, <laughs> 100 years ago today, World War I, the armistice to end World War I was signed. Uh, I had a great-grandfather, Roy Walker, who participated in World War I. I never knew him, but I've heard stories about him, and along with him and many others, many of you who stood today, thankful for your service and thankful for those who paid the price that we might have the freedom that we enjoy today. Uh, World War I, there was a very definitive enemy that was, uh, that was fought, and uh, we could identify, and we could fight, and we could see the victory that comes. This morning, in the pastor's prayer time, uh, in the prayer chapel, some men gather and pray with me each week, uh, one of the prayers that was prayed went something like this. The devil has been hard at work, and many marriages have been hardened because of that. I believe that. I believe that. Today we're talking about hope in marriage. Uh, and as part of that, I want to just let you know, I've been recently, within the last year, been certified in a marriage counseling uh, system called Symbis. I won't go into all the details now, but part of that, of that uh, process exposes personality traits, expectations in marriage, likelihood of success, and lots of valuable information for couples. I'm using this with uh, couples that I am preparing for weddings and preparing for their marriage but also using it with married couples. And uh, it has been a great tool, a wonderful tool, in fact, because it gives couples hope in their coming marriage or in their existing marriage. And so I'm excited to use this more and more as I have opportunity uh, to work with couples. Today we're looking at 1 Peter chapter 3. I'll invite you to take your Bible and turn there this morning. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. And we're talking about the fact that as people of hope, and we've been looking at the topic of hope in 1 Peter for the last several weeks. We're working our way through this book uh, there in the New Testament, this letter from Peter to believers. And uh, in this letter, the theme, the overarching theme is hope. And so today we get to a topic of marriage, and it's under the umbrella of hope. So that as people of hope, we find that we can have marriages of hope. Hope in our marriage that will uh, accomplish God's good and perfect will. Now, Christian marriage is often taken as out of touch or as negative or as old-fashioned by those who are not engaged in the Christian faith, by those who don't understand that God has a purpose and God has a plan and God has a picture established in marriage that relates to our relationship with Him. And, and also, uh, Christian marriage is... Is, uh, uh, is taken as out of touch by those who misuse and abuse their role in marriage. And so uh, if, if we're not careful, we can allow those who are not a part of Christian marriage to define Christian marriage as outside of the norm and outside of, uh, of, of good and outside of blessing. Now, the first introduction to marriage in the Bible, you probably are aware of this, but Genesis chapter 2 is the first introduction of marriage that we see in the Bible, Genesis 2.24 says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. God establishes marriage very early in the history of mankind. 
Now, this is repeated by Jesus. In Matthew chapter 19, Jesus repeats when the topic of marriage came up. He points all the way back to the beginning when God established it. Jesus was saying God started it and it hasn't changed. Jesus said in Matthew 19, He who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Now would you stand with me this morning? I want to read for you, not only from Genesis 2.24, where God established marriage, and not only from uh, Matthew 19, where Jesus repeated God's standard for marriage, but I want to read for you this morning from Ephesians chapter 5, where once again, the New Testament church repeated God's standard for marriage. Uh, Ephesians 5, 31 to 32, uh, we find the same passage quoted, although this time with a picture that goes with it. It says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So here in the days of the New Testament, we come to understand that the marriage that God established that has not changed somehow in some way is a picture of how God relates to us. Christ uh, is represented by the husband. The church is represented by the wife. And this partnership of husband and wife is a picture of the partnership between Christ and the church to bring glory to God and to reach as many people as possible. That is a picture of godly marriage. And we're going to talk about that today. But would you pray with me as we begin? Our Heavenly Father, you have blessed us today with lively singing and great time of worship. There is a, a great feel in this worship service this morning, and we thank you for that. We thank you for the energy that we feel in here. Lord, we know that it's not simply emotion, and it's not simply a lively song, but that it is the very Spirit of God in our midst, and we thank you for that. And our Heavenly Father, this morning, as we talk about the topic of marriage, as people of hope and as people who want to follow your word and demonstrate the picture and the blessing and the testimony of marriage, Lord, would you instruct us, would you remind us, would you encourage us, would you soften our hearts where necessary, would you harden our resolve as needed and that we might glorify you, be a blessing to our husband and wife, and be a testimony to the world about the picture that marriage represents of our relationship with God through Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. So in Christian marriage, and I, I, I put the word Christian in there on purpose, in, in Christian marriage, not just in all marriage, but in, in Christian marriage, uh, we see the equality of value, the husband and the wife being equal, with a diversity of function. There's a difference between the husband and the wife in God's purpose and God's plan. Now, historically and culturally, things about marriage have changed, are changing, and evidently will continue to change. Who knows what marriage is going to wind up looking like in just a few years. It's hard to believe it's changed as much as it has. Amen? Amen. But listen, God's purpose and God's plan and God's picture concerning marriage have not changed. And so that's what we want to talk about today. We're looking at 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. And this passage gives marriage instructions to husbands and wives. And as we look at this, we're going to find that there are two instructions 
for husbands, and there are likewise two instructions for wives. And so as we work our way through here, uh, we might ask the question, why are there instructions? And you, have, you, have you ever, have you ever uh, guys, I know guys you've done like I have before. Uh, you get something. Most recently, I've gotten a chainsaw. There's something about a chainsaw makes you feel like a man. Amen? It just does. I'm not going to lie. And after I finally got so frustrated trying to put that thing together, I looked at the what? The instructions. And you'll never guess what happened. It fit together just right. You know the problem that many of us have? We don't look at the instructions. So we asked this question, why did God give us instructions for marriage? Well, last week we were looking at 1 Peter chapter 2. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, in this same overall uh, discussion, we find here that there are three reasons that God uh, gives instructions for how we are to act in society, which we talked about last week, and how we are to act in marriage. And the three reasons are, first of all, for the Lord's sake. He gave us these instructions for His sake. Chapter 2 and verse 13 of 1 Peter. Secondly, in verse 15 of, of uh, chapter 2 of 1 Peter, it's because of the will of God. It is His will that we have these instructions. And then thirdly, chapter 2, verse 16, because we are the servants of God. That word servant is important because it means that God is in charge and we are to serve Him. We're not to ask questions and go a different way. We are His servants. So with that in mind, uh, let's look at the fact that our hope in Christ is expressed in Christian marriage. There's this picture that we see in Christian marriage that somehow, some way, represents our relationship with Christ, our relationship with God, and is to be a testimony to the world. So, so each of these uh, are addressed, the husband and the wife. Uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, begins with the wife. Begins with the wife. And th there are two instructions, as I mentioned earlier. The wife is addressed first, and the first instruction given is wives, respect your husband. Respect your husband. This is the, the first instruction given to wives. Now notice the, the, the note I put under this. As I, as I read and studied, not only about the instruction that wives are to respect their husband, because I'm one of those people, I want to know why. Why is it that God tells wives to respect their husbands? There's a correlation to that, and that is that somehow, in some way, God has wired men uh, to desire and to respond to respect. It's an important part of what makes up a man. So we need to recognize that as men in general and also uh, wives to, to also be mindful that this is how men are wired and instruction for wives towards their husband is to offer this respect. Now in chapter 3, chapter 2, verses 13 to 25, we're all taught as Christians, men and women together as Christians, we're taught uh, to submit to human authority and we have the picture that Jesus submitted to God all the way to the cross, and it led to our salvation. With that thought in mind, at the end of chapter 2, we take up with chapter 3, verse 1. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So why should I, as a wife, respect my husband? 
So we talk about this topic of respect. Why should uh, women, why should you respect your husband? There's a couple of, of reasons uh, that, that we see here. Uh, not only why should I respect him, but, but how can I respect him? And, and when I respect him, what's going to happen uh, when I do that? There's, there's at least three things that we see here that respect for your husband accomplishes. You may think it accomplishes nothing, but according to the scripture, there are at least three things that this uh, respect accomplishes. One is, it's a picture of Christ and the church. Don't take that lightly. Respect for your husband is a picture of Christ and the church, and more importantly, it's a picture of the church's response to Christ. In Ephesians 5, we see this much more extended passage on marriage, and, and I've preached on that before, and I will again. But for, for the, the sake here at First Peter, let's just be reminded that, that, uh, that, that it does picture Christ and the church. Secondly, that your respect can be a testimony to an unbelieving husband that may win him to Christ. I don't know how many times I have uh, met with uh, families or met with wives whose husbands are not active in church. They don't, they're not believers. They don't come to church. I grew up in a home uh, with both of my parents were not believers and we were not active in a church at all. My mother became a Christian and it radically changed her life up until this day. Somebody say amen to that. That's an awesome testimony. But my dad remained at odds. My dad remained. So, so I grew up in a home where a mother who became a believer wanted to influence a husband who was not a believer. And, and I, I witnessed it uh, different ways that she tried and attempted that. I, I've talked to, to ladies over the years who, who would say, Pastor Mark, help me to reach my husband. How can I do that? And, and I will tell you this, and, and, and you may know this firsthand. I've seen it. I've talked about it. I've read it in other places. Nagging does not work. <laughs> Laying out his clothes on Sunday morning does not work. But somehow, some way, in the scripture, we find this picture of a, of a marriage where the wife is a believer and the husband is not a believer. In the, in the days of the New Testament, we read about the gospel spreading and, and people coming to faith in Christ. And no doubt, there were many who came. The wives came to Christ as believers. The husband did not. And so here, just in, in that day, just like in our day, uh, you, you find this, this, this mixed marriage where the wife is a believer, the husband is not. Sometimes, although not nearly as often, you'll find the husband is a believer and the wife is not. But in this case, it's addressing the wife. And it says here, the best way to win an unbelieving husband is respectful behavior towards him. Why is that? Because there's something about the way God wired men to desire and respond to respect. And so there's a testimony aspect uh, to respecting your husband. Now, I'll tell you this too. Not only is it a testimony to an unbelieving husband, but it is a testimony to a believing husband as well. Uh, it's amazing what that can do in a marriage. I want to speak to any of you here today who are single. Maybe you're young and you've never been married. Maybe you're, you're older and through either divorce or, uh, or death you find yourself single again and you may be considering the possibility uh, of marriage at some point. I would challenge you and encourage you, set the standard now that you will refuse to date anyone uh, who is not a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ. I want to challenge you to do that no matter what your age or what your stage if you find yourself single. So, so, so it's a picture of Christ. It's a testimony to an unbeliever. But thirdly, it's also a testimony to the world. 
that they may see the picture of Christ and his church as they see you as a wife relating to your husband. You may say, well, well how is that going to portray the picture of Christ and the church? And, 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 and I, would, I would also say it's not only that you live that way, but that you speak that way as well. That by your words and by your actions, you're a testimony to those who don't yet know Christ. Now, uh, you've heard or, or familiar with the song from the Supremes, from the 1960s. Al, I'm not going to sing it this morning, but, uh, but, but the, the lyrics go something like this. Stop in the name of what? Before you think it O-O-over. you got to get the word lyrics right. Think it O-over. And with that thought in mind, uh, the Christian website, familylife.com, lists 15 things wives should stop doing in order to show respect to their husbands. Have I got you riled up yet, ladies? Just remember the phrase, 15 things, okay? I'm not going to go through all of them, but there are, watch out now, there are 15 things that uh, this website, I'm just telling you what the website says, 15 things on this website that wives should stop doing in order to show respect to their husbands. Let me share just a couple of them with you. Number one, stop thinking your way is the only right way. Do we need to talk about anything after service? Just, just let me know. Gary, just come talk to me, okay? Don't put others before your husband. Don't dishonor your husband. Stop expecting your husband to fail you as your dad failed your mom. That one hit home. I'm not a woman. That didn't hit home. Never use sex to bargain with your husband. Don't make your husband earn your respect. Remember, there's that word respect. Men are wired to both desire and respond to respect. Here's how, here's how that one is elaborated on. Many women think, I'll respect him when he earns it. But there's a reason that Ephesians 5.33 says, Let the wife see that she respects her husband. As one friend said, If women could learn to understand that respect is a man's native tongue, that it absolutely heals his heart and ministers to him like nothing else, it would make the biggest difference in the world. I believe that's true. Don't act like your spouse is a mind reader. And then this one. This is not all of them. This is the last one I'll mention. Put an end to taking the lead because you think he won't. The first years of our marriage, one wife said, I would see what needed to be done and get frustrated that my husband would not take charge and get it done. I really believe now, she says, that our men don't lead because the women are too quick to jump in and take care of it. So first of all, women, respect your husband. Secondly, beautify appropriately. That's the second instruction to wives. Beautify appropriately, starting in verse 3, there at 1 Peter chapter 3. Do not let your adorning be external. The braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the impression, imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Now let's start with the word adornment. What does the word adornment mean? It means uh, that these are items added to beautify the appearance. Items added to beautify the appearance. The instruction here is not just to put everything on the outside, on the shell, on the covering to, to make things more beautiful. Uh, in fact, Christian women are not to prioritize outward adornment, but instead inward 
beauty. And this was written, we have to remember the context, the culture at the time. This was written at a time when in Roman culture, which was the dominant culture of the day, women adorned themselves greatly. The more wealthy you were, the more you adorned yourself as a woman. There are, are writings and paintings and statues of women from this era in the first century where, where they would, uh, their, their hair, uh, the more they could afford it, the, the more the taller and braided and more intricately and, 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 and uh, uh, beautifully, their hair was all large and it was braided and it looked uh, unbelievable, no doubt. And the jewelry that was worn uh, was the most that could be afforded. And it was worn very prominently uh, by the ladies. And their clothing uh, was the best that their, their money could buy. So, so here's what was happening. When women would go out in society and in culture, people would see them and their appearance would say, look at me. Look at how beautiful I am with my hair. Look at how wealthy my family is with my jewelry. Look at how, how expensive my tastes are with my clothing. Look at me. That's what the, the picture of women were in, in the first century, as a general rule, among, among the wealthy. Not a focus on character or integrity or personality or faith, but a focus on outward appearance. By contrast, Christian women are to focus on building godly character first as a status symbol that doesn't say, look at me, but says, look at Jesus. A status symbol that doesn't say, look at my wealth and what I have, but a status a symbol that says, look at all that my Savior provides in salvation. Look at what He paid so that I might be set free. This is who I am. Now today, surprisingly, or rather unsurprisingly, we see much the same uh, uh, outlook. We see cultural pressure for hair and jewelry and clothing to say, look at me without any concern for inward beauty. We see outwardly, whether it's a beauty pageant or whether it's a commercial on TV or wh whether it's uh, this person or that person or lyrics of a song or what's in movies, we see this unending picture of women and the picture is look at how beautiful, look at, how, look at all these outward things with nothing uh, pointed inwardly. The Bible message, though, is don't start with outward appearance. Because when you only focus on outward appearance, it will mislead you and others away from God. Rather, women start with inward appearance of character and your spirit before God that will lead you inwardly and spiritually, and then it will allow you to reflect true beauty outwardly. The Christian context of verse 3 could go something like this. Do not let your beauty be only external. Hair and jewelry and clothing focus first on your heart before God. This passage does not say, women, don't fix your hair, don't wear jewelry, and don't wear clothing. It doesn't say that at all. It says, <laughs> but it says, start with the heart. And when your heart is right before God inwardly, then your external appearance will reflect that outwardly, and you'll truly represent your relationship to Christ. And it says here that this attitude among women is very precious to God. And it's precious because in Ephesians 5, it mentions the fact that a wife's relationship towards her husband is a picture of Christ's relationship uh, with the church. And when that relationship is right, it's a very precious thing to God. So ladies, recognize, as a wife, in that role, you relate to your husband as God calls the church to relate to Christ. And so, so that is a precious thing in the eyes of of God. I want to share with you, if I hadn't gotten enough trouble already, I want to share with you uh, just a couple of mo minutes 
of two Christian women discussing the topic of beauty. Well, we were talking earlier, beauty is not a bad thing. Right. The Bible even mentions that David was handsome in appearance. Right. It, and it, beauty points to the beauty of our God. So right. it's not bad. It's just a hard struggle. I think as we're thinking about swimsuits and what we should wear in the discussion of beauty, it's so easy for me to want to put my standards on somebody else of what I think people should be wearing. Sure. And yet I think ultimately we need to be asking what's the motivation behind what we're putting on and how we are adorning ourselves. First Peter 3, 4 says, the Lord says, um, through the Peter, that don't adorn yourself with these jewelry and all right. this, which doesn't mean it's bad. It just means what he goes on to say is that that what the Lord, what pleases the Lord is the hidden person of the heart. Right. And so are we seeking in our motivation and how we're dressing and how we're carrying ourselves and um, how we take care of ourselves? Is our motivation to show ourselves off? Right. Or is it to honor the Lord and show the Lord off? Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that verse in first Peter mm -hmm. because they were in the first century that would have been a way to display their wealth and right. theirs mm -hmm. yeah and point. so I think that as we are thinking about this and thinking about okay what are we going to adorn ourselves mm -hmm. and we do need to evaluate are we trying to draw attention to ourselves in what we wear mm -hmm. and how we conduct ourselves or are we drawing attention to the Lord I think we have to keep in mind as women we live in a hyper-sexualized culture Absolutely. where the standard of outward beauty is just crazy. And so we have to fight and be vigilant that we do not put our hope in what we look like on the yeah. outside. And like you said earlier, I mean, I, str I am not there yet. Um, I sure. struggle. Yeah. So I want to be found beautiful on the outside. And, and But there's value in that for you wanting to look beautiful for your husband. Yes. Maybe me wanting to look beautiful for a future husband one day. Sure. So there's it's there's not something wrong with that, but when we put our hope there. Right. And especially when we think of how we dress, when we're dressing in a sexualized way and trying to draw attention to ourselves, making our brothers, sisters stumble, I don't know. We do have a responsibility there as Christians. Um, and I think ultimately keeping in mind that our beauty is not about us. Right. Our beauty on the outside and on the inside is about the Lord and it's mm -hmm. about pointing back to Him. And that's the beauty that's gonna last and endure eternally, that those right. who look to the Lord are radiant. Right. Yeah. Uh, so that's the kind of radiance that we should be seeking and that right. I pray has my heart, which it mm -hmm. oftentimes doesn't. So there you see two Christian women talking about the very same topic. How can we accomplish this for the glory of God? Now, let's move on to the guys. Amen, guys? Let's move on to the guys. A <laughs> couple of instructions for the guys. Uh, now, I want you to notice that uh, there are six verses relating to the women only one relating to the men. Now, it's not because men need it less. It's because men can only remember just a couple of things at a time. Chapter 3, verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Let's look at these two instructions given to men. First of all, is live in understanding with your wife. Live in understanding with you. I've come to understand your wife and who she is. As I've heard people say in different ways down through the years, if I could do that and write a book, I could retire today. 
Nobody can understand a woman. There's been songs written about this, books attempted to be written about this. Uh, there have been all kinds of things because men are from Mars and women are from Venus and it's two different worlds. Yet, here in the scripture, we're told from God, men, seek to understand your wife. This word understanding means knowledge. It means seeking to know, to inquire, to investigate, and to study. It's saying to men, men, study your wife, investigate her, find out everything there is to know about her. Who is she? What does she like? What is she like? What does she look like? How can you meet her needs? It's a picture here, if you will, to put it in some guy talk. It's a picture of a hunter or a fisherman going after prey. Now, I'm not, a, I'm not a hunter. I've been fishing a time or two, but I would not pass any test of being anything good. I just throw the hook out there and hope something will get a hold of it. But, but those that know what they're doing have an understanding of the prey that they are pursuing, and they can become more and more of an expert at hunting that particular prey. And I believe that's a great picture of husbands and wives. A hunter or a fisherman will, will study to understand the prey that they're going after, what, where the prey will be, what the prey like, what their schedule is. They'll spend money. They'll get up early. They'll travel. They'll stay late. I, I'm, I'm reminded of a couple of things just from Ridgecrest here. Of some of our men that are, are big fishermen, they'll go out to these lakes all around here and, and, uh, and, and sponsor fishing tournaments. I've been asked to go out and have done so gladly at 4 o'clock in the morning to Falls Lake to give the opening prayer and to help weigh in and, and inspect boats. I've, I've developed some skills a little bit in that regard. But 4 o'clock in the morning on Falls Lake because there's a fishing tournament going on. I think that's a great thing. There are, there are other hunters who will, will get in their deer stands before the sun ever comes up in the morning. I was, I was looking on uh, Facebook yesterday, and, and there's a picture of three of, of our church members, Art Farrell and Jordan Salmon and John Wyckoff. Each of them yesterday before 9 a.m. had shot a buck, and each of them they were spread out there with the, their bucks. And, and so, so they had studied and gone, and they were successful in their hunting. Likewise, a sports fan. Well, listen to Mike and Mike on the radio. If you don't know Mike and Mike, you may not be much of a sports fan. If you, uh, uh, you'll study the stats of your favorite team. You'll watch the games. You'll criticize the coach. You'll know the players. You'll buy the jersey. You're all in for your sports team. And those things are certainly fine to do because you study and you go after that sportsman, uh, that sportsman mindset. But let's be realistic. There are more men... More and more men, I would say, who know more about the Blue Devils, the Tar Heels, or the Wolf Pack, or a turkey call, or how the behavior of a bass is in Car Lake, and know more about those things than they know about their wife. Because they're not seeking to understand their wife. They're not studying their wife the way they study that fish. And I would, I would point out to you guys, your wife is much more valuable than the fish, or the buck, or the duck, or the team, any way you want to look at it. <laughs> So if you want to strengthen your marriage, guys, continually seek to understand your wife. Even if you've been married for decades, we change over time. Always be curious to know, to understand, and to find out just who this beautiful person is that the Lord has brought into your life. We're biblically commanded to do so, and there's also a rich reward for that relationship. So guys, let's seek to understand our wife. Secondly, show honor to your wife. Not just understanding with your wife, but honor 
towards your wife, honor to your wife. This word honor means respect, admiration, tribute, and esteem. The, the English translation, transliteration of the Greek word is this. Think about this. To honor your wife in Greek, in Greek language is spelled in English T-I-M-E. Think about that. Giving your wife time is giving your wife honor. And it says here that as the weaker vessel, there's, 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 there's lots of discussion. What does this mean, that, that women are weaker? Does it mean that they're more fragile, that they're physically less strong? Does it mean that they're not as, as tough as men are? I don't think it means that at all. But, but it, it's a picture that I've seen uh, that I think really describes this, the woman as the weaker vessel. If you will, picture men as a sledgehammer and women as a clock. The sledgehammer has a role, a valuable, important role. But so does the clock. And so the sledgehammer uh, is to take its role and do its job. Likewise, the clock. Which one is more valuable? They're equally valuable. They each have a role to play. And so women are, are, are like that clock and, and, and need the attention that a clock would desire and deserve. So men were to honor uh, the, the, our women uh, in our lives. Each is different. Men and women are. But they're equal in value before the Lord. I want you to notice there's a couple of reminders here about this, uh, this uh, command to honor our wives. The first reminder is that each is equal in worth and value to God because we're equal as heirs of grace and of salvation. There's nothing about a man that makes him more worthy for salvation in the eyes of God. There's nothing about a woman that makes her more or less worthy of salvation in the eyes of God. We're equally uh, created in His image. We're equally guilty of sin. We're equally available to be saved through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And then notice the second reminder. And that is that our prayers or our relationship with Jesus is hindered if we're not honoring our wives, gentlemen. If you're not honoring your wife, then you're not right with God and your relationship with Him. We could say it this way, your, your spiritual relationship with God is impacted by your marital relationship with your wife. It's important to recognize that God looks at us because if we're going to look at this relationship of a husband and a wife being a picture of Christ and His church, then we have to give honor to, to our wife so that we can represent Christ towards His church and so that our wives can know how we feel about them. And this directly impacts our relationship with God. Now, you remember uh, how, many, how many things were on the list, women, that you were to stop doing in order to respect your husband? Oh, y'all remember that, didn't you? Fifteen. The same website has another list for men... 40 things <laughs> husbands should stop doing in order to honor their wife. I'm not going to read all 40 because some are a little cl too close to home, but I do want to share a couple of them with you. <laughs> stop coming home from work and plopping in front of the television for the night, leaving your wife to bear the responsibility for everything else going on in the home. That's just one of them. Stop working so much. Find a healthy balance between work and family. Your wife would rather have you than a big house, nice car, etc. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> but she should, won't you, more than that. Stop acting like you're listening when you're really watching TV. Stop allowing the spiritual leadership of the family to default to your wife. Stop being passive when it comes to dis disciplining and training your kids. Stop being a closed book. Open up to your wife. Don't be afraid to show emotion. Stop dishonoring your wife by criticizing her in front of your children or in public. 
When your wife irritates you, don't answer right away. Instead, count to ten and remember she is a gift from God. Amen. Don't shy away from difficult conversations with your wife. Stop saying you'll do something and then procrastinate. Don't allow your eyes to linger on beautiful women who pass by. Never casually or disrespectfully talk to other guys about sex with your wife. Stop telling your wife that she is supposed to submit to you. Stop feeding your sexual desires from any source other than your wife. Don't be alone with any woman who is not your wife. Don't make fun of your wife. Don't allow guy-only activities to rob you of time with your wife. And stop expecting your wife to do all the housework. It's just a few. Pretty, pretty poignant, though. Guys, we're called to honor our wives because they're such a gift from God. I want to end our message this morning with a prayer. I've been on a public prayer focus for a little while now. Somebody asked me last week, how much, how much longer are you going to keep asking us to come forward to pray? And my answer then was, and is today, I'll let you know. This morning, I want to ask you just a moment to come forward and to join me in a prayer for marriages. Marriages of hope and for hope in marriages. You may be coming representing your own marriage in its strength as a testimony or your own marriage because you need help in your marriage from God. You may be coming on behalf of someone else, a friend, a son, a daughter, a parent who's having a difficult time in their marriage. You may be coming because somebody you know is having a difficult time and, and you want to pray perhaps that your marriage would reflect uh, the gospel uh, as you go out. You may be single and you want to come just to pray for a future mate or for others who are single like yourself. You may be here as a husband and your wife is not here and doesn't come. You may want to come because uh, you want to pray for your wife. You may be here as a wife and your husband does not come. Any number of different ways. In just a moment when I ask, I want to invite you to come here and stand across the front. If you want to kneel, you're welcome to do that. And then I'm going to have a prayer uh, to conclude the message here, and we'll sing a song as we prepare to dismiss. Uh, but but what, what is it? Somebody asked me, is there something special about coming forward? The answer is no. It does, it's just as, you're just as holy if you stay in your place, and there's no distinction between whether you come or whether you go, if you feel so led. For some reason right now, I just really felt, have felt the Lord impressing me to be more public about public prayer in the church. And so that's my, that's my conviction right now. That's why I'm going to ask you in just a moment, those of you that will, just to come and join me around the altar. So would you stand with me right now, if you would? Would you stand? Just bow your head and close your eyes. And As we do, I just want to ask, if you feel so led to join me in this prayer down here at the front, for whatever your reasons are, just make your way out quietly and make your way down here to the front. Surely, if you will, just begin to play softly and we'll have this time together to pray for marriages of all kinds. God has been so gracious to give us instructions, to give us encouragement, to give us resources by His Word, by His Spirit, by those who are around us. 
Our Heavenly Father, I thank you for today and for your many blessings. I thank you for marriage, the beautiful picture that it paints of Christ in the church. I want to pray today for wives, for wives that are gathered here around the front, wives who are in our worship service today, wives who are perhaps even hearing this message online because they're not able to be at church today. I want to pray for wives to have a desire, first of all, to please you and to follow your instructions. The Lord, they might respect their husbands and Lord, that they might beautify themselves appropriately from the inside out. I want to pray, Lord, that for some, that's a very difficult step to take, but I pray that because of their desire to serve and follow you and follow your word, that they would take some steps and then reap the benefits of being the godly wife that you call our ladies to be. I want to pray also, Lord, for our men, that truly we might seek to understand our wives. It's so easy just to get into the routine of marriage and neglect the most important relationship on earth that we have, the relationship with our wives, to expect them to pick up the slack and do things and be there for us and to wait on us. And Lord, none of that is biblical or godly. So help us to understand our wives and then to honor them, to exalt them and lift them up and to show them by our actions that we truly honor them in all ways. Lord, I pray for men today, men who are gathered here, others who may be listening online or some other way, Lord, that we might have both a desire and a willingness to take steps, even when it's awkward, to take a step towards understanding and honoring our wives so that we might follow biblical teaching and also so that it might impact our marriages. And as we take these steps, Lord, I pray that we would see tangible and visible and relational benefits and blessings. I pray for marriages, even our strong marriages here at Ridgecrest, to be renewed. But Lord, I pray also especially for that man or that woman who's here today, their husband or wife do not seem to be open to spiritual things. I pray, Lord, that, that by following these biblical godly guidelines, that you would open up the heart and, and, and make tender the heart of that husband or wife that's not here and not participating in spiritual life, that they somehow may be one to faith in Christ and godly living by the example of a husband or a wife that treats them in a godly way. And Lord, I thank you that you intend marriage not only to be a picture of our relationship to you, but also a blessing for those who participate in it. And then, Lord, to be a testimony to an outside world who struggles in the area of personal relationships, struggle, Lord, with marriage and what it means and how it's defined and who can participate and, 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 and the, the easy uh, marriage and divorce that, that, that just so permeates our society. Lord, help our marriages to be a testimony of the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for each one that is standing or kneeling in the pews or here at the front. Thank you for our commitment to Christ and thank you for our desire to serve and to follow after you as we pray in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.